Friends, welcome back. On Wednesdays, we continue through Exodus. Good to have you with us. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, today, Michael. We kind of get into the really the core of the story. Uh, Moses and Aaron have approached Pharaoh. They have relayed God's message. They've shown Pharaoh the initial sign. Um, Pharaoh's sorcerers were able to reproduce it, and Pharaoh remains hardened of heart and, and unwilling to let them go. So today we get into the part of the story that I think many people would know. Um, I think if you have any familiarity with Exodus, you know that there were plagues. There were these uh, terrible things that were cast upon Egypt to wear them down and to punish them and convince the Pharaoh that uh, he should follow God's instructions and let the people go. And today we get the first plague. So let me read this. I'll try to read it quickly, then we'll discuss it. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand by at the at the water stand by at the river to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake. Say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews sent me to you to say, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know I'm the Lord. See, with the staff that is in my hand, I'll strike the water in the Nile, and it will be turned to blood. The fish in the river shall die. The river itself shall stink. The Egyptians shall be unable to drink water from it. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the water, cover its rivers, its canals, its pond, its pools, all of the water, so that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout the whole of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded, and I, I'm not going to read the rest of this, but it happens as predict, predicted. I will jump down to verse 22. The, the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts, so Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. Pharaoh turned and went into the house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians had to dig along the Nile for water to drink, and they could not drink the water of the river. Seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So this is the first of what are called the ten plagues. The first is the turning of the Nile, which is the lifeblood. It, it is what allowed Egypt to function. It, it waters crops. It, it brings water. Um, there, it is no, it is no um, surprise. It is no accident that Egypt develops along the Nile River. It, it really is uh, the heartbeat of that area. And here, God renders it unusable. God turns the water into blood as Moses and Aaron um, follow the Lord's commands, use the staff. But then there's this strange thing. We saw this with the snake. The magicians of Pharaoh are able to replicate this. They take some water. They they turn it into blood as well, or appear to turn it into blood if they if it was a trick. And um, because of that, Pharaoh is willing to live with this. Pharaoh is unwilling to let the people go. And so we see this pattern again. God speaks, Moses and Aaron obey, a thing happens, Pharaoh's people replicate the thing, and Pharaoh then is stubborn. And, and Michael, this is going to happen um, a few more times, though 
the magicians are going to drop out of the equation at some point. Yeah, right. So the pattern is set because of this conflict with God that's arising, but each uh, each plague does come with its own kind of symbolism, and in some ways we might even say meaning. Um, it's striking here that the first plague strikes the Nile, mm. and I remind you that in chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh uh, makes the order that the firstborn son of the Israelite slave should be thrown into the water. The Nile becomes the source of the Israelite genocide. And so much of this story is told from the perspective of God bringing justice upon this uh, overreaching power, this human who has taken more uh, than, uh, than his allotment, the Pharaoh, that it is striking that the first sign is that very same water, the Nile, being turned to blood. Um, almost in some ways a symbolic representation of the fact that this has been the place where blood has been taken, where life has been snuffed out. And, uh, you know, it's striking, we're told here, um, that this is the case not just in the Nile itself, as if, you know, it was only the river affected or some natural disaster could have caused it. But we're told here, uh, I'm looking at verse 19, Clint, uh, it's canals, it's ponds, all of its pools of water, uh, even in vessels of wood and vessels of stone. That's the kind of thing. There wasn't a thing that happened upstream that caused all of this. There's only one explanation for how this happened. And in some ways, Clint, the mu the magician aspect of this story, I, I want to be careful. It it's not comedic relief because it's a very serious story, mm -hmm. but there is a comedy in it. The idea that because they could reproduce some red in some water, that that would in some way be the same thing by any order of magnitude to all of the water of Egypt, to the extent to which they're digging new holes to get clean water out of, that, that the magicians are really, in some ways they're cast here, I think, as very small. I, there, there's a slight, at least ironic, if not comedic element to that. Yeah, and, and I also think, Michael, it picks up on this theme of contest, you know, that at, at least at this initial point, Pharaoh is still trying to answer God, and the sorcerers of Egypt are trying to reproduce these acts. They think of this as magic or trickery. They think of Moses as a, a sorcerer of sorts, and it is not yet clear in in the minds of everyone in the story, that this is none other than the Creator. This is the God of Israel doing these things. The, they are not tricks. They are not abilities. This is the power of a, of a divine God focused against Egypt. And, um, it, you know, I, th I think that can get lost. I, I do think, you know, there's a sense in which the story, we're going to see these magicians for just a brief moment in the beginning of the story. And I do think it's kind of the story's way of telling us how woefully above their pay grade the rest of this story is. I mean, that, that okay, they can keep up for a little while. They can do some little things yeah. here and there. But they're they are – we couldn't even call them underdogs. They simply – they simply don't matter. They don't belong here. They do not have a place at this table. Uh, and you said, Michael, I also want to, something I also want to comment on. 
There are, of course, people who have read these stories and looked for some historical aspect to them. Could something have happened to the river? Could it have been a landslide? Could it have been muddy water? Could it have been red dirt? Could it have been a meteor? There are myriads of sort of guesses and explanations offered as to how something like this could have actually happened. I, I will just tell you that for purposes of our story and for the purposes of the Old Testament, it the, the Bible does not care about any of The Bible is telling the story as the Bible wants us to hear it. The Bible is not interested in explaining it. The only explanation the Bible needs is that the power of God brought this about as it is written. And now, if, if you want to see more than that in it, that's fine. But I don't think it's fair to bring that to the text because the text has no interest in that. The text is simply mm-hmm. closed to that kind of speculation. The, the text already told us what happened, and it doesn't care about other versions of the story. How is not a question that this text cares right. about? The author is not interested in sharing with us how. And I want to make that case maybe a little bit more firmly. Um, we do know from archaeological evidence and, and studies that have been done extensively of Egyptian culture how important the Nile was. Uh, you led with this, Clint. The Nile uh, was not just a source of water for the people of Egypt. It was considered to be, in many ways, the, the lifeblood. It was thought to be a spiritual uh, a sort of sustenance, a place of life, and the pharaoh's control of the Nile was also thought to have spiritual overtones. And so we might miss this as modern readers, but as the text is written, and as we see this confrontation happening between the God of Israel, who can take the water source of mighty Egypt and turn it into blood, and make it, let's make it clear, it's not saying like blood, it's not saying food coloring. When it says blood, we are to understand blood. And this isn't the first time that we've seen blood spilt in this book. I mean, there there are obvious connections to the stuff that we've already had, chapter 122. I think you could make an argument, um, not for the Nile specifically, but Moses shedding blood of the Egyptian. I mean, uh, there's this there's this overtone here of who commands life. And ultimately, Pharaoh has these underhenchmen, you know, strongest, brightest, uh, most uh, powerful man in the world has these magicians, and they're going to conjure up tricks. But what we're to understand from this story is that the God of Israel does not resort to tricks. Uh, The first parable is not some miraculous sleight of hand, uh, you know, look here while I do another thing. It's a real, honest life-changing kind of destruction. I mean, we see here that the fish in the river are dying. I mean, there's this sense that there's a an abrupt halt to the order of normalcy and the common to be expected thing happening, and that there's a new thing happening. And yet, you know, we could go on and on about this, Clint, this idea of the Pharaoh's heart being hardened. Uh, once again, God is at work. Pharaoh is unwilling to relent, and because of that, uh, we know that there's more plagues to come. But th- there is a direct affront happening here. That This is, 
I suppose you might say that the plagues get more serious as they go along, but I would be a little remiss in saying that this isn't serious. I mean, right from the start, this is a shot across the bow at the very center of Egyptian life and culture. Yeah, I I do think there's symbolism in this story, Michael. I mean, this is directed at uh, a broader context than just the pharaoh. Uh, in other words, it affects all of Egypt. They It affects their tributaries. It affects the fish. And, and what is this plague? It is blood. Uh, they literally have blood on their hands. Where did the call go out to throw Israelite boys in the river? It went out to all of Egypt. And now all of Egypt has to deal with blood. And I would also, I don't want to race ahead of the story, but I would also point out that we're going to have blood in the first plague, and we're going to have blood in the last plague, and they function, the, the blood functions perhaps differently, but it it matters. This is a life and death thing. This is battle. This um, blood is an important image in the context of this story, because Pharaoh has attacked, he has killed, he has made war against the people of God and thereby called out God personally. And uh, this is a sign of things to come. There are sometimes in the biblical studies, especially Old Testament studies, Clint, where there's small details that may matter. One of my commentaries points out that uh, there is some argument to be had that these uh, wooden things, stone jars, uh, could be referencing ancient traditions of holding water for the use of cleansing idols, um, which there's debate about. But it's interesting to look at details like that and reflect if it's true, this then would also have the overtone of the very sacred water preserved from the sacred river used to clean the sacred items is now stained with blood. It is blood, uh, which is a reflection, once again, of the power of God against the powers of Egypt. If you're willing to look in some of the nooks and crannies of these stories, or even look at the detail of the staff, right? The same staff that turned into a snake is the same staff that strikes the water. Uh, we, We have this building image that the God of Israel is going to make good on the promise to bring justice, to bring the people out. And mind you, at the end of this first plague, um, what we don't see here, at least I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Clint, is a, a specific reference to how the people of Israel get out completely scot-free. I mean, we see in other plagues how accommodations are made for the nation of Israel. But here, I mean, at least as I read it, uh, the, the whole Nile turns to blood. So, I mean, there's a, a sense in which this starts off with an inescapable reality. This has happened. There's no way around it. The only way to get fresh water is to dig it up and to find a well uh, that's clean. Um, but but when the people push back and said, you know, Moses, what are you going to do? Pharaoh's coming after us. This is an unmistake, unmistakable sign that God has shown up and there's forces at play here beyond just mere human action and um, we're only going to see that in spades as the plagues continue. Yeah, and I would say, you know, Michael, even even if the commentary it, the commentary may be right about the you know the sort of idolatry and the function of water in that, but even if it isn't, it's a sign that if you had water stored up, you're not immune. If you yeah, thought right. if you thought you had a way around this plague because you had jars of water in your home. 
It doesn't matter that God is plaguing, God is punishing all of Egypt, and and you can't sort of get. There's no loopholes in that. You're not going to you're not going to get out of that easily. Um, we'll continue with the plagues. We, we probably we, we probably won't do one at a time. Maybe tomorrow we'll get through a couple because um, they're they do become a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Cyclical, and I think maybe the story itself front loads some of the details. Um, but we will continue through this part of the story and hope you can join us. Grateful that you are with us today. Thanks, friends.